Welcome to the show, the Chuck Shoot Podcast. So glad to be here. Having a great day. In a good mood. Just had a great conversation with Michael Grant. Uh, so Michael Grant was in a band called Ever and Ever After. And they did some great stuff. Uh, they toured with big bands, had songs on the radio and TV. Uh, and then that ended. And then he joined LA Guns. And he was a guitarist for, there for many years. And that's how I came to know him. I could see the talent just oozing out of him when he played uh they did a show here uh and then they would even give him a song in the middle of the set and he, he did this stellar version of prince's purple rain he sang and he played the guitar uh he, he's just very talented in fact on the new album he can he plays the guitar bass drums piano he sings he writes he produces he does it all uh it's called michael grant and the assassins is the band name although it's mostly just michael grant doing everything uh, and the album is called Always the Villain, and we'll get into why it's called that. It's a brilliant record. The whole album is really good, very catchy, melodic songs that get in your head. So check that out, and I hope you enjoyed this interview. I had a blast talking to him. Hey, what's up, buddy? This is Michael Grant. Oh, well, welcome to the show. Yeah, so if it's okay with you, I just want to kind of go through your whole career. I actually learned a lot about you doing research for this episode. Um, I didn't know that you started out as a, uh, a, a film star in, in the Philippines. Oh yeah. And what that, but you yeah, don't seem to a, be uh, proud of this. You're like embarrassed of this. <laughs> well, you know, it was, uh, I was young and you know, it's never, it's not a lot of work that I was, uh, super proud of. It was nice to be a part of as a kid and have that kind of experience. But, um, definitely I'm not like ashamed of it or anything like that. I just don't promote it. No, do you still get paid? Like, do you get royalties from that still, or was this a pretty brief thing? No, no, no. And, and if they did pay for, and if they did pay me out still, then I would totally mention it. But oh, okay. I don't make shit from that. From <laughs> oh, those, <laughs> from those movies. So, gotcha. So then you discovered uh, Prince, Purple Rain, and that's what really changed right. your life and got you into music. Then, pretty much, yeah. And Smashing Pumpkins, that was one of those albums that. And Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese uh, Dream. Yeah. So Prince, I would say, Purple Rain, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. I was also heavily, you know, I wanted too much, but I was like a pretty huge Metallica and Pantera fan. Um, I, you know, I was also into bands like, you know, The Cure and 80s New Wave. I love the British invasion of 60s, 70s, and 80s rock. Like, my musical influences were so vast. Yeah. You said also the Skid Row you know, debut, because, um, which was also one of my favorites. Skid Row debut just was, was, was one of the, was one of those albums that got me playing uh, electric guitar. Like before then I was, I think I was just kind of diddling around on acoustic and stuff like that. And I heard uh, <clears throat> Skid Row's debut, Metallica's Black album, Smashing Pumpkin Side Muse Dream. Like I heard all these bands like at a similar time and 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 uh Prince Purple Rain mm -hmm. and it was just like I was like this this is the kind of shit I wanna I wanna do. I wanna make this, you know, like I wanna write this. Like how do I get into this? Yeah, and, so um, and then you just taught yourself this is what I'm curious about because you taught yourself Everything, guitar, drums, bass, piano. Did you have access to all those instruments or how did you get to, like, because it's hard to find a whole drum set. We, I mean, that's expensive, right? Well, luckily, my older brother, Azeron, uh, who was the lead singer of a band called Winter Rain, hmm. who's amazing. You guys should check them out. I will. Um, R-E-I-G-N. Okay. You guys did a band together, uh, Sin, right? Yeah. We, uh, we were in Sin together and we were... Uh, signing with nuclear blast records for our oh. debut album and i i chickened out and i kind of realized at that time that the music we were making was not the music i wanted to play for the rest of my life oh. like uh, you know we were like a black metal we were like a black metal influence melodic metal band okay and um and i i you know i just i don't know i didn't I didn't connect with those audiences that well. So you backed out of a, like, uh, I don't a record label though. That's pretty, I mean, cause it's kind of hard to get a record label. Isn't yeah. It? It's pretty ballsy. Yeah. It was, it was pretty hard to get it. And it was, it was definitely, you know, like 
my, my you know me and my brother weren't friends for a while and my family was shocked that I would oh. I would do that but um I just knew that I didn't want to play that kind of metal for more than more than the time I already had I was already evolving as a musician mm-hmm. you know into some of the artists that I was that I just kind of uh listed and uh, I knew I wanted to play rock music, you know, along the lines of the things that I was listening to. And I started, and that's when I formed a band called Endeavor. Right. Not Endeavor after. Oh. I, for, I formed a band called Endeavor. And uh, we were going to release uh, a 10 song album called Love or Something Like It. And uh, we were working with this fucking slime bag of a producer guy who pretty much hijacked that album from me really um so yeah and then i had to scrap yet another project <sighs> and that's when i formed endeavor after and i was like fuck you 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 want to try to you know uh you want to try to hijack my art well i'll just make new art motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened to that album the well is deep did you ever get it released that or album did... never saw the... wow no no that not that album never saw the light of day and he had you know, it was, it was, I was young. I was like okay. 17. So oh, I didn't know. I didn't know the business of shit. Yeah. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know the business of how things went and I was getting ripped off left and right. You know, bad things were happening and managers and promoters who promised this, but deliver nothing. I was dealing with just the jokers of the business. Huh. And you know, I was, I was fucking green at the time. Too, yeah. So that, that didn't help either. So, <clears throat> You know, we were like prime targets. We were like talented and, you know, kind of uh, wide-eyed and, you know, really hopeful. The demons figure out a way to, you know, smash your dreams at that time. And it takes a little bit of soul searching, deep mm-hmm. digging within yourself to kind of, you know. So, but I, I've, I've, I've repeatedly kind of had to do that. And I had to do that when I formed Endeavor After. Sure. And I was just like, you know what? All right, here, you have that. I'm a right kiss or kill. Yeah, but you had, uh, you talk about the demons, but you kind of had like a guardian angel in a way, because it was uh, Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy was the guy that kind of discovered right. you. He sent some managers to come to one mm-hmm. of your shows. It was, I guess it was at a church venue or something, you, but you guys had confetti cannons and pyrotechnics. Right. That's pretty crazy. So they... Yeah, we were playing a, a church venue called Club Retro. And, you know, we, we were, I don't know, we were trying to be like a mini kit or something like that, you know, at least with antics, not music. And, you know, we were, we built our own confetti cannons and we built our own like God boxes that had lights shining when you stepped on them. So when you played a guitar solo, you looked like a fucking God. And, uh, we didn't know we were making that kind of a buzz to be honest. And then Mm. limos were showing up and people were kind of, you know, courting us and taking us out to dinners and offering us different deals. And it, it was kind of, it was kind of weird how kind of, uh, it snowballed into into what it became. You know, it, I, I actually didn't expect it. In our hometown of Sacramento, mm. we got mocked for sounding, looking, and doing what we did. Really, we got mocked until we got until we got signed. Then all these people who just dissed us for years were all of a sudden like, like, oh yeah, we knew them back when, and, and Dev Raff is awesome. We're like, what? <laughs> you guys. You guys said that we would be nothing and that we're fucking jokers and we'll never make it because predominantly at that time, you know, emo influenced music, rock, whatever, kind of dominating, you know? And so when we did something just a little bit different, we got laughed at, bro, like consistently. People were laughing at us. Wow. But, you know, the world is much bigger than your city. So when the rest of the world caught on to what we were doing and they joined on, it was only then that our town of Sacramento finally was like, oh, well, yeah, we, we love those guys. I mean, we've known them. And it was the hangers on. And like, to be honest, you know, like that city, that city, like didn't, not the, the whole city didn't know we support us. I mean, we were blacklisted from certain venues and given a hard time, had a hard time booking shows. Wait, why were you blacklisted? I was blacklisted from a club because back in my days of skin, I, I was a scrapper and I got in a lot of fights. And when bands back then were a lot boisterous, a lot more boisterous and kind of like chest puffy. And, um, you know, uh, if a band would talk shit, I was kind of a little 
hot-headed and I would like roll up the dude's shows and Jesus honk the fuck out of him and like be, <laughs> and be like, yo, you, you want to say that shit to my face? I mean, this wow. was, you know, I was like 18 years old and I was kind of a different person. Yeah. Um, Gangster. So that got me blacklisted at a couple of, at a couple of venues. But then that's why we started playing like church venues and stuff because oh. we were blacklisted from all the popular <laughs> venues in Sacramento. Interesting. You know, and okay. these were the only guys that were willing to give us, give us a room to play in. And like, we were like, all right, we'll roll with it. These that's all cool. ages. So the, the crush management shows up to this venue and they're the people that manage fallout boy and panic at the disco. And then you got to end up opening for, you went from playing church gigs in front of 200 people to opening for, to fallout boy in front of 10,000 people before you even had a record. It was weird. It was weird, bro. We just released our EP. It was doing all right. It wasn't doing great. And you know, I, I wasn't expecting, uh, such a big bus to come from this demo. I thought we would conquer our hometown and, you know, like I'd prove a bunch of people kind of wrong, but uh, it kind of snowballed into uh, quite the roller coaster of an experience as far as, you know, its success goes, as far as you know, the band had uh, gotten that almost famous kind of vibe we have. Mm-hmm. So then three it months, kind of, then- uh, it was a huge, it was a huge shocker. It was like, uh, we were playing these church venues uh, at a at a maximum capacity of like 400 people, and then the next week we got invited to open for Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, and I want to say like Save the Day or something like that. Okay. And wow. um, oh no 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 no, dude, it was it was uh, Fall Out Boy, Panic, and All American Region. Oh yeah, that's a big and one. That. That was a, it was a huge bill and like it was in our hometown too. It was when they were uh, playing uh, uh, Sac State University. Okay. So, you know, I, I just remember this is, you know, coming from that, that show last week where it was 400 people and stepping out and it was just like people as far as the eye could see, you know, really curious about what's going on. The energy just being so, so intense. And for a split second, you know, thinking like, shit, man, this could, I could possibly be out of my league here. And I just remember kind of like sacking up and being like, fuck this, let's do this. And then then next, next thing you know, we're, uh, you know, we're doing all the uh, endeavor after things, doing all the endeavor after things we did. Yeah. So then three months later, you're opening for Poison and Cinderella. Those are those are very different sounding bands than like the Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco. How did was it your management that suggested oh, you do that? Or? Okay, I think Poison acquired us because they needed they wanted a fresh new upcoming band to open their uh, string of arena dates for like a three month tour, mm-hmm. and uh, somehow they got hold of the uh, Endeavor After Blood on the Stage EP, and they. They were like, we want this band. We want, we want, they, we want them. And okay. it was a kind of a weird thing because right in the middle of that, we were already booked to play Udo Festival to open up for Kiss. Right. Uh, so we were, so they still let us do the tour, even though we had to miss three dates in the middle to go play with Kiss. Like they were very oh. cool about it. Usually, if something like that happens, they're like, well, fuck this band. Like we'll, we'll go with someone else. They were like, nah, we'll still take them. Oh, we'll find cool. another band or a local opener for those three shows and you know they still were supportive and kept us on the tour so i'm always uh, grateful to them for that because that yeah. was such a huge experience and that was that was the ultimate boot camp and i think it was my management's clever decision or uh uh yeah clever decision to sort of put endeavor after through boot camp of like this is what it's going to be like like here's a here's a taste can you handle this mm-hmm. and uh I think we rose to the occasion at that time for sure. Yeah. So you say boot camp, like you learned a lot. And then this is interesting. One piece of advice that you got from CC DeVille, the guitarist of Poison, he said, uh, yeah. just make sure that you're there for the important moments because there was a lot of cool things that he's done in his career, but he doesn't remember them because right. he was so fucked up on drugs or booze or whatever. So that really stuck with you. I've never forgotten that. Yeah. I've never forgotten that. I, I, I've, I've taken that to heart. So I never get obliterated or anything like that because, you know, I, I first off, he's like, man, I wish I would have appreciated what I had, you know, like, cause I had, I mean, we had the fucking world at our hands and 
I have like nothing to show for it inside my head. You know what I mean? And right. that's kind of everything. Yeah, he has pictures, you know, but he doesn't remember have... the pictures. Right. He's like, shit, when did we take that? You know, and that, <laughs> that's heartbreaking because that's like, yeah. dude, that's like amnesia of some of the most beautiful moments in your life. Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. That's, and, and, and from that moment on, I was like, all right, I'm not trying to be that cool guy who I can't fucking like beat Motley Crue's dirt antics. So why even try? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a different level for sure. But then, so then you did, like you said, a whole nother level, man. Yeah. So you got to open for kiss in Japan. And I I love this story because we talked about, you said Skid Row is a big influence and, and you got to meet Sebastian Bach in the, in one of those shows, right? I met Sebastian Bach and we had a, a funny encounter in the bathroom. Uh, he sees me, I'm coming out of the bathroom and he's walking, uh, he's walking and he's like, what's up rockers? Great show. And he's like cheering us on. And he is such, he has such high energy yes. and like, yes, he does. Know, I can't, I can't even like, I can't even, uh, uh, match his enthusiasm. Like him just saying, what's up rockers. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's doing like the Sebastian Bach voice. And I'm kind of, you know, in shock and awe. Cause here's one of the dudes, you know, whose records kind of jump-started my ship, you know, like, it was kind of like a a huge moment, and he was, you know, he knew that we were on tour with Poison, and uh, he said, uh, he's like, uh, oh, you guys are the ones that are on tour with Poison Cinderella, huh? And then he started dancing the Unskinny Bop video, because we had had cameras on and shit, you know, because we were compiling our own little video documentary-type deal that never saw the light of day. So he was was kind of like, giving us shit for the camera and i was just like man this guy is so cool he was so down to earth yeah no he's he had super a good cool. good energy that's very cool and then so then finally your record comes out for end ever after and you guys got some airplay you had a song on rock band a song on the show scrubs and then one thing they had that was pretty pretty good gig for you was that you had the uh, one of your songs was used in the wwe Jeff Hardy's entrance. Do you get like a, a royalty for yeah. that or something? That seems like a pretty good gig. They play I wish, every... bro. Oh, I really wish. didn't. Nah, they uh, they don't even. They didn't even give us the option. It was literally like, um, you can take this lump sum or you can leave oh. it, and we'll get another band. Okay. And just because I wanted to be, I've always wanted to do because I think the music I create uh, on occasion is pretty theatrical and epic sounding. So I've always wanted to uh, do, you know, like a, like a fighter or a contender or, or, or an athlete entrance theme song. Like that's a dream. And when we got commissioned to do that, they just gave us a, a, a sizable uh, lump sum. And that was it. Hmm. That's all I ever saw. And to see it now, even, you know, it's awesome to be a part of it, but it's also kind of heartbreaking because it's like, man, I wish I could get some grocery money at least from this motherfucking song. Like shit. Like <laughs> He's got a different song now though, right? It, it, they re- Did they change it or is he still using that one? No, actually he, okay. He's been, uh, Jeff Hardy's been fighting to use no more words. For some reason, he's gotten some resistance on using that song. Oh. But, you know, when he, re- when he returned to wrestling and it's on my Instagram page, if you guys check it out, there's a video there. You'll see Jeff Hardy's face, click on it. And he's, he says he's just so ecstatic because he gets to bring back his original theme song, oh. No More Words. And, and it's been like, like six, seven, eight years and him trying to use this song and, and him getting all this resistance. There was some shit with the rights and everybody thought that it was, me was the cause of him not being able to use the song until I posted like are you guys fucking crazy like as an artist all I want is that dude to use my song like are you kidding me yeah you know and um finally he finally he got the rights and he made a huge statement on national television and he's like I'm gonna be walking out to no more words and that was that in itself is a huge moment so it's nice to be a part of that legacy no. Yeah, for sure. So, but then the the band. Even if I'm not making anything off that <laughs> legacy. Yeah. Well, this people hopefully hopefully people will still check you out. But then that band ended for whatever reason, um, and then you just started. Basically, I mean, you kind of did the same thing because it was you're the front man in that band. Now you're the front band in Michael Grant and the Assassins. But that's when you started Michael Grant and the Assassins, then, right? That was the next project. Right. And I started that just like maybe a year before I, I joined LA Guns. 
Yeah. So that's an interesting story. You were, you guys are rehearsing and some British guy comes over and, and just like stopped you in your tracks without even had, he hadn't even heard you play. And he asked you to audition for LA right. guns, right? He, he just liked my look and my vibe. Like he just like, <laughs> you know, like my, I, you know, I can't, it was a dress rehearsal. So we came, you know, dressed to the nines and we had, you know, pro gear and stuff like that. So he saw me and it was kind of like a, I don't know. It was, it was one of the, it was a weird moment. Cause I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know what was going on at first. I was like, is this dude like into me? What's going on? He's like, <laughs> you know, he's, <laughs> he, he was, he was kind of very, uh, uh, touchy too. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and he, he, he basically, you know, all but courted me, man. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, they dangled the money carrot, over my uh, over my head for for weeks, and I made them wait for I don't know like a month or so before I even kind of got back to them. I because I was already kind of getting the ball rolling for Michael Grant and the Assassins, and I knew that if I took this gig, it would probably take away from that. However, I was in a difficult spot in my life, so I, I needed that money. Sure. And uh, unfortunately, that need for money was a little bit more important than. Uh, releasing my full vision and stuff like that. So, you know, I had to, I had to pay the bills and I had to do something. And that was the only thing that I could do at the moment that didn't require me getting a fucking real job. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then, that... uh, and would also kind of hone my skills and kind of, right. you know, uh, help me, help me perfect my craft. I mean, I was filling some, some pretty, uh, pretty intense shoes. Like I'm pretty, you know, those are, those are huge, huge shoes to fill. And I was like the only guitarist. So it was, you know, there was double pressure. And, and I knew going into that band that the reputation that the band had in the 80s was going to carry. So it was just like, so the, when you're stepping into, um, like, let's say you were, you're, you were going to be the guitarist for, for Led Zeppelin, right? Wow. It's, a big, cool. it's big shoes to fill, man. And, yeah. and you know, people are just going to diss you, you know, and I had to fight uphill battles being the lead guitarist like for so long yeah for that's so long that's for so long really? people would scream scream other people's names at me when um, i was on you know like, and i'd be like all right just and then by the end of the show they'd be like dude you're fucking awesome man holy shit i'm like yeah shut your fucking mouth <laughs> no i know because that's how i mean i think that's cool because that's how i became a fan that's how i got to know you so i think it helped your solo career too but you won me over immediately like i went to a show in phoenix here and i was just so amazed like you're like how good you were like you were just i mean especially seeing you live is totally different to see somebody play the guitar like that up close and personal i mean I, it blew me away and i didn't even know that you did all the other stuff with the solo stuff yeah thank you man so were you still kind of trying to do the solo stuff with, while you were still in LA guns too? I mean, it's gotta be tough, but I was trying on, I was trying unsuccessfully because oh, okay. we had a very intense touring schedule. And by the time I got home, I'd be dead. Right. I'd be like, just, just trying to recover from three to four weeks of days. And the creativity was flowing. Plus I was also in some pretty shitty toxic relationships that were, you know, when you're in a when you're in a in a in a bad spot, it could really, really destroy your creativity, really destroy it, man. And I think uh, sometimes until you cut ties with some of those um, toxic relationships, that's the only time you know the music will flow. Toxic relationships with the, the people in LA Guns or other bands or or girlfriends or what? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All of the above. All of the above simultaneously. And it's just like, it's funny, man, because like, you know, when I was in LA Guns, I had so many friends. And uh, when that split happened, it really showed me who was actually my friends. And it was such, uh, such a magnanimous scale of people who just dropped like flies from my life. And really? I was... I couldn't be more, ha I couldn't be more happy about it, bro. Like it was probably one of the things that I was the most happy about because, you know, then you, you don't gotta, you, there's no more mystery of like, is this dude for real? Is he cool or not? It's like, you just showed me yourself, dude. So thank you. You know, now all I got is the real motherfuckers in my life. So it's nice. 
it definitely was a uh, was hard when it was happening, but now I can see it as a as the blessing that it truly is. So, like, what, like, just people just wouldn't return your phone call and stuff. I think like people on following and you know people not supporting and you know people talking shit and um, you know people you know not even so secretly but very openly rooting for your failure you know Jeez. like all these motherfuckers just fuel my fire and there's a lot of them there's a lot of them wow yeah it is weird how the whole thing went down too i, I heard you talk about it. i don't want to dwell on it too much but it is weird that you just got a call and it wasn't even from la guns it was from their manager and they just said they're letting you go because it's time that's all they told you and you had did you had kind of no yeah. idea what was going on I mean, I had an inkling just from uh, just from my feelings of uh, of perception within myself. Just I just had a feeling because tensions were rising, and there was like blowout moments where they were super uncalled for and out of nowhere, and you know, like and uh, blowout you know, moments towards me, you, or, my, uh, or you were witnessing blowouts between other members of the band. Oh no! A lot was towards me. I would be doing fucking nothing and getting blowouts towards me. I would be minding my own goddamn business and getting. Oh yeah, and um, I think it was at that point I was like, "Oh, the end is nigh." Um, So I wasn't. I wasn't. I was shocked because of the timing and how it was done, Mm -hmm. and the dirty things that were done after the fact. However, I always knew that, you know, especially when. When I started getting them feelings, I always knew it was going to happen. I just, the timing. And what do you What do you mean, dirty the things? Professionalism that was happening after the things you just talked about, how people unfollowed you and stuff like that, or was there other dirty things? No, there's a lot of other dirty things um, that I kind of don't really want to go into, but um, just dirty, unprofessional, really like nasty things, saying stuff in the media about me. Um, and just a lot more, there's a lot more sorted shit that happened within that time that I have uh, put behind me. Yeah. And you still talk to Tracy. Do you talk to anyone else from the band? I talked to Tracy and I talked to Shane. That's about it. Okay. Um, they're like really the only ones who showed, you know, some true friendship throughout the bunch anyway. So crazy that's, that's who i uh that's who i that's who i still fuck with <laughs> well that's sad but it is i did think it was cool after the la got you're talking about all this bad stuff happening but there was some good stuff too because right after uh the whole thing with la gun split you got an offer to join rat i mean so it really it, arguably yeah. rat's a bigger band than la guns but you turned it down absolutely absolutely i had to turn it down um you know, for, for the sake of Michael Grant and the Assassins, it was time for me to get my, my music out um, and make myself sound good and not another band. I was getting really tired of making people sound good and boosting their profiles and, you know, and then getting absolutely nothing to show for it. Like, I'm done with that shit. I'm ready to be my own boss and make music on my own terms, my own creative vision. Like, that's the true goal. That's mm-hmm. where the true gratification comes from. Well, they you know, know playing yeah. as a hired gun. It's not that fulfilling, and and you might get a paycheck, but you don't see any of the real money. Huh. And yeah. you're also joining someone else's fucking soap opera, which I have no goddamn <laughs> interest in. I already <laughs> dealt with enough. I was in both versions of L.A. Guns, dude. Oh, that's and right, because the first one was know, with I, Steve Riley, yeah. right? Yeah, I forgot about that. Right, and after and after the split with L.A. Guns with Phil and Tracy. I got asked to join the second version of Elegance again with Steve Riley. And I was like, you know, I love, I love Steve Riley. Yeah. But I didn't even return his calls and it was, and I meant no disrespect by my actions. I just, I didn't want to give him the opportunity to talk, to talk me into playing with LA guns. Cause he's pretty persuasive. Oh really? And I'm sure he would have been dangling some serious dollars in front of my face to make it kind of like, you know, yeah. Well, maybe I should. And then <laughs> next thing you know, I'm fucking. So I knew. And plus, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I knew that what I had with Always the Villain was miles better 
miles uh, better. Yeah, uh, let's talk about that because uh, the album "Always the Villain." I mean, I can't stop listening to this thing, and I'm not just saying. Like, I literally—that's why I reached out because I was like, I love this album. I think I'd listened to a little bit Thank of the you. other stuff, um, and again, I didn't know about "End Ever After." I'm just now discovering that one too. Great stuff, but I mean, especially these, the first two songs. I mean, I was immediately hooked. I was like, this is brilliant. I mean, so tell me about, first of all, what is always the villain? Is that a reference to your old bands like LA Guns and Never After? Or is there something, what is the meaning behind that uh, title? Well, it's kind of uh, all encompassing to what we were just talking about. Like the dirty deeds and, you know, me being painted out to be this villain in the Mm -hmm. media and this monster of a person from these toxic relationships in my life. And, you know, I, uh, in my mind, I was like, you know what? You guys want a villain? You got it. <laughs> Worst villain you've ever seen. <laughs> no, it's a good and song. And I just really identified, too. I really identified with, you know, the lyrics in that song. And, you know, it was kind of like a silent fuck you. So it was all encompassing to what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. No, I love it. And uh, it's cool because you had 100% creative control. Even though you're on a record label, Frontier Records, they gave you 100% uh, decision and creative c- control. Now, so you did not only wrote and you produced the songs, but you play everything, which is amazing. You sing guitars, drums, bass, right. vocals. You do the background vocals too, right? Every single part you hear is, that is, is amazing. Grant, except for a couple drum tracks. Well, so what? who helped you with the drum track? Was that Drum Machine then or...? No, that was Shane Fitzgibbon, the former oh. drummer of uh, the L.A. Guns lineup that I was playing in. After my split, him and I, you know, we remained friends, and uh, he really helped me. Cause, you know, some of the, he's a miles better drummer than I am, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he really added some beautiful flavor to the tracks that he tracked. And he's one of those musicians you don't really got to explain anything to. He kind of just gets it and knows what the song needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, he facilitated also the studios for those drum days with the drum tracks that he's on. So I'm really, really grateful to him for that. Oh, very cool. And uh, yeah, he he did it. He did it. He did amazing. He's the only other credited musician, uh, you know, that played anything on the album other than those five tracks. Uh, everything is me. That's amazing. Now, is he going to join the band when, if assuming that you know, eventually, you I hope that you can tour. I wish he would join the band. I think he's pretty busy. He's now the musical director for Kanye West, so he's he's pretty tied up with. Uh, Wait, what? How shit do, to do? What does what does that even mean? <laughs> uh, so he kind of uh, plans all the uh, live music and programs it in, and engineers. He's got an engineering background. For, oh, okay. Uh, for uh, record recording studio music engineer background, so he. He's not only talented, he's technically pretty genius. So, okay. Um, somehow he acquired the gig of being uh, <laughs> Kanye West musical director. And you could only imagine how much that pays. Yeah, I, that sounds like a good gig. And he's so trying to get trying to get that guy to play drums. Like I'd have to put up Kanye dollars and I don't got that. Yeah. Do you think there's more soap opera in L.A. Guns or with Kanye West? <laughs> I'm gonna probably say LA Guns. Man. Really? <laughs> yeah, because I don't know if you're following Kanye lately, but it's been uh, it's been interesting watching what's what's what he's going through. So. There's just you know like you know as a dude who's been behind the scenes, there's a lot of behind the scenes shit y'all don't see. Know? I know that's why I like doing uh, these Kanye interviews. West shit is Kanye Kanye West shit is put on blast in the media, so like True. it seems a little bit more intense. But like, um, you know. You guys got to think about all the shit that you don't hear and that you don't see. Oh yeah, no, I know. That's why I love doing these interviews because I get to learn about all sorts of stuff that I'm like, oh, I had no idea about this or that. So it's really interesting. Now, one of the right. so- the songs on your new album, uh, "Barrel of a Gun," is that an Endeavor After song? Or I don't know if it was ever released, but was that originally Endeavor After? Yeah, that was that was on un- that was unreleased, and it was supposed to be on the it was supposed to be the first track on the on the end ever after second album that never saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's since it's, since it's inception and in endeavor after it's been rewritten pretty extensively. So there's none of the same lyrics and not even the same chorus. Um, 
So it was a pretty different song then. I had to kind of uh, rewrite it and figure out uh, where I could bring it to kind of represent where I'm at currently, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So um, that, that was probably the trickiest song to kind of, uh, to kind of uh, record just because it was like this odd puzzle piece that I had to cohesively make fit into the album. Yeah, no, I think it all fits good. Like, how would you describe the sound? Because I felt like, I think was it, I think Red Light Run is the one where, I think that was the first song I heard, and I almost felt like I was transported into the 80s. Like, it seems very 80s, but yet it still sounds contemporary. It doesn't sound dated at all. It sounds like it's a brand new song. That's awesome, man. You know, I just, I don't know, I just kind of wrote, I just let whatever come out and try to, make it all get along <laughs> yeah that's it's awesome i definitely hear the prince uh influence for sure too that's very cool that you i definitely have some some uh some prince easter eggs throughout the album really and uh yeah yeah definitely both in you know uh musical parts and vibe and definitely if, if you if you've got an astute ear you'll be able to like oh that's some princey shit right there for sure oh can you give us at least one of those Easter eggs? I think that Easter egg would be the hats off and the guitar solo of break me with you. That's a huge one. Okay. Speaking of hats, so um, if you listen to that, if you listen to that guitar solo again, you'll be like, Oh, <laughs> okay. I'll have to check that out. But uh, yeah, speaking of hats, I was going to ask you about this. You have, is your hat, that's kind of like your trademark. Is there a story behind that hat? Like, what is that hat from? Where'd you get that? It's well, my cool. My dad gave me that hat. And uh, I've always just loved it just because my dad gave it to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just kind of special. And now it's kind of um, kind of dying because it's seen years on the road. And I'm reluctant to get a replacement. So, you know, once... Uh, once I hung my hat up, so to speak, with LA Guns, I sort of, um, in a way, retired that hat. Oh. Both for sentimental reasons and for just wanting to. Um, that's why on the album cover, if you look at the back, like as the artwork, like I don't, I don't support that hat anyway because I want to move towards a new chapter in my life. Okay. And uh, and just hope the music becomes the trademark, you know. Yeah, no, it's it sounds great. So you got to do the uh, the Monsters of Rock cruise last year as Michael Grant and the Assassins, and you performed with Extreme, Tesla, Queensryche, a bunch of other good bands. How was that experience? Did you end up hanging out with a lot of those bands and the fans as well? I've never been on one of those Monsters of Rock cruise. It was amazing. Uh, I got to hang uh, with all the bands, and um, I had a great moment with uh, with Frank Hannon from Tesla. And uh, it was in the morning, and we had just played uh, uh, the the day before, or, you know, the night before, or whatever. And Frank Hannon comes up to me and he's like, "Hey, man, you got this song with like this swanky, lazy riff." He's like, "Dude, that song is killer. That is the one." And the song that Frank Hannon was talking about is what you guys know is Red Light Run. Yes, love that song. And at that, at that time, you know, and this is before I tracked Red Light Run, I didn't think of it as like this special song. I was just like, oh, that's cool. Hmm. And um, it, when we played it on the cruise, consistently, and not just Frank Hannon, other, other musicians and fans were coming up to me, that Red Light Run song, that Red Light Run song. And then I was just like, whoa, what? Out of all of our songs, those are, that's the one? And they're like, yeah, man, that song is, that's it, dude. And I kind of surprisingly found how special that song is. And, you know, now that song is just killing it for us. You know, like, it's been really great on YouTube and on social music services and all that. Yeah, so it is getting a good just, it response. Surprised, it surprised me. Really? It, it surprised me. It's getting a great response, yeah. That's good. You know, I think it's super catchy. The whole album is really catchy. Um, it's one of those ones where, you know, cause sometimes there's an album comes out and there's Thank one you. or two good songs, but like your the whole album, I've been listening to it on repeat. And it's just a lot of those songs. They just, they get in your head. They're very melodic. I would say. Thank you, man. 
So definitely, be, yeah, got a lot of gear. <laughs> yeah. So besides uh, <laughs> the bands that so you've, I mean, you've toured with so many big bands. Is there any bands that you have not toured with or worked with that you want to? Absolutely. I would love to tour with like Foo Fighters, Smashing Pumpkins, um, Strokes, uh, 1975. Uh, you know, I would love an Aerosmith show. Like, I'd love to tour with Lenny Kravitz. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of artists I would love to tour with that I've never worked with before. Yeah. Did you have any shows shows planned before this pandemic or was that something you guys were going to look at after the album was released? Uh, we had a whole, uh, us tour book, <sighs> um, and just about to ink all the contracts to the 30 some odd dates. And then the pandemic happened. Oh shit. And all that was scrapped and, now we're just kind of waiting for things to get back to normal so we can get back to playing shows again and spreading the good word of always the villain. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's looking like uh, it's looking like a losing fight this year, to be honest with you, unfortunately. For the whole year, you think? Fight. I mean, you might get some single dates here and there, but uh, from you might get like a a one-off or something from one mm. of your favorite bands, but I really, really doubt that any band is going to be, you know, doing full stadium tours and shit like that right now. No, yeah, because I think I saw Great White did a show and Kix has done a show, and I mean, I've seen some local music. And they're getting they get they're getting mad shit for you. I know playing those shows, right? Yeah. So, are is that part of what scares you too? I mean, not only you know getting the virus or so, but also like, the shit you're going to get if you do a show. Um. I'm not too worried about that part. I'm more worried about the virus part. Are you pretty scared of it? Especially, well, just, just because I'm a, I'm a new father. So, and my baby was born like at the start of the pandemic. Oh, like, I didn't know. Bit, like, Congrats. Yeah. Thank, cool. thank you very much, man. Um, yeah. So she was born right into the age of the pandemic and, you know, knowing that this person completely depends on me mm -hmm. makes me a lot more cautious about you know because when you go to shows a lot of times you get like drunk people spitting in your face telling you how much they love you and you know it's all good and all but like you know i didn't want to <laughs> put myself in that position yeah. to be honest with you no i think the meet and greets are definitely shows, done. i probably wouldn't be doing meet and greets yeah too. yeah that'd be that's just got to be no done for go. a while unless there's some sort of a you know but glass barrier between people at the meet and greets. Cause you're right. Cause everyone's always drunk at those or half the people are at least and no social boundaries. Oh man. They put your, they put their arm around you and they're sweating and fucking Ugh. spitting in your face and it's all good. And I appreciate your enthusiasm. Well, please keep the fluids to a minimum. when talking. <laughs> good to know. Good tip <laughs> for people. Saying. Yeah. But it just seems like, so are you doing like uh, the Zoom shows and stuff and you had uh, some acoustic versions of some of these songs you're going to release? I did some acoustic versions uh, for three of the tracks on Always a Villain. And uh, we just did a new video for uh, Nightmares uh, that was released uh, like a week and a half or two ago. And um, I think we have a lyric video that we're developing for a song called Runaway. Hmm. Okay. Cool. And uh, right now, that's all of the visual, uh, visual art aspects of um, visual video type stuff for Michael Grant and the Assassins that we have planned, at least. Yeah. So what do might, you? I might uh, try doing a video on my own for one of the oh. other songs, like "Killing Me Slowly" or uh, I don't know, one of the other songs. I'm not sure which one yet. So what can you do maybe with salvation? Maybe. Yeah. With all this time, are you going to just start writing the next record then? Or, I mean, cause you're kind of trapped, right? You can't, if you can't do live shows and or are you just going to still try to find a way to I've promote been writing, uh, the, I've been writing songs for the follow-up for the past three months now. So okay. I've got a, you know, like a little bit of a, I've got an EP worth of stuff right now. And um, nice. my plan is to write at least, you know, maybe 15 more songs and kind of just pick the best gems out of those 15. Okay. 
Perfect. Well, I can't wait to hear the next one. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a lot of uh, cool stuff created during this time in terms of music and screenplays and all sorts of stuff because people have the time to do definitely, it. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. This might sound kind of cheesy, but do you think part of like, I know there's this whole social upheaval and division within our country. Do you think some of that has to do with the lack of music and live shows? Because I feel like that's one thing that brings people together. Like, no matter what your background or politics, you come to a, you know, a Michael Grant show. I'm sure there's people of all sorts of backgrounds. And right. now we don't have that. I mean, do you think that's part of like, maybe if music, if when it does come back, maybe the social upheaval will subside a little bit too? I think it's definitely part of it, but it, you know, it's hard because when people are intoxicated, they're not always making the best decisions. And sometimes with people infecting people, they're not trying to infect people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they coughed and boom, it's just out there and people are inhaling this shit and like, you know, they get a bug or whatever the fuck or they get COVID or, you know, so it's hard because, yeah, you know, people, people aren't really great at being uh, trusted and the numbers kind of dictate that, especially right now, LA being one of, you know, where I might, where I am mm-hmm. being one of the top five hot spots in the fucking world for it. So, Yikes. you know, it, it's hard because there's a part of me that feels what you're saying, but there's a part of me that feels like, you know, I don't want to take that risk and I don't think anyone else is going to watch out for my safety, you know? So no, definitely. You know, yeah. Why, why, why even take that chance? Like huge, huge groups gather, man. Like all bets are off, dude. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. Um, so I don't know if you, if your manager gave you the notes, but, um, I do always, uh, end with a charity or like a cause, uh, preferably something Mm non-political that you want to raise awareness of. Did you have something for that? I did not get this note actually. So uh, I didn't, uh, (laughs) I didn't see anything about this. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. Uh, you can you can uh, message me later. Do you or unless you know, is there something that you a charity that you've worked with before or um, a cause that you want? No, to not really. Like, no. What are some What are some uh, some causes that you support? Oh, so many. Like, uh, Helinski's Hope is one of the ones that we I've had the I've actually had the family on there. Their their son was a he was a football player and he uh he killed himself. He was like gonna be the starting quarterback at a, a D one school and he shot himself. So we're trying to weigh they're trying to uh, raise oh awareness God. of uh suicide and mental health. So that's a big one that I've had I've so I've supported that one. And then we've had a bunch of people for like that must that must be huge right now, the mental health stuff right now, just because people yeah. are like locked and you know, really it really brings on the manic depressive and everyone, even in myself, man. Yeah, definitely I've, brought out, you know, definitely brought out some negativity in at times that I've had to sort of check myself on. Um, so yeah, I think people are probably definitely having a hard time there, man. Well, Is there yeah, anything the, for diabetes? <laughs> what's that? Is there anything for diabetes? Uh, yeah, I mean, we could die. Absolutely. I'm sure there's something that uh, people could donate money to. That. That's a big one, too. Do you know people that are diabetic or? Yeah, my dad is. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We could, well, let's, let's, we'll put, I'll put a link down there. I'll find, I'll find the biggest uh, diabetes chair. I'm sure there's probably something maybe Great. your buddy That's Brett perfect, Michaels dude. does uh, for, I know he's diabetic as well. So from poison. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. We used to work out together and we'd be shooting insulin and stuff. Do you still talk to those guys? I haven't talked to Brett for maybe three or four years. We played a show together at some state fair back oh. when I was in LA guns and uh, he, I was approved to come back to his dressing room and hang out with him for a while. And we talked and he was really cool. So when you, uh, you said you did have like 30 dates planned, was that with another band or was that just a club tour with Michael Grant? That was just a club tour, uh, for us. And we would always have, um, uh, local support opening oh, cool. and closing. And we would play like, you know, um, We'd always try to play like around 10, 30, 11 or something like that. And then there'd always be a band that closes after it. Were you going to come to Phoenix? That's where I am. Yes, we were. We were supposed to play some venue that has like a pool in it. Oh, yeah. That place got shut Um, down, though, even before the pandemic, I think. If it's the one I'm thinking of. It's the one up in North. I think that's the one. and. And they said, I think at the time, those promoters, who I forget right now who, what the names are, they said they had a new venue and they booked us 
for this new venue, but I know that their old venue was this pool, that pool one. Oh, okay. They had some pool right in the middle, which was like in the most inconvenient place because it was like yeah, right at the front of the stage. You had like five feet before the pool yes. in back of you and then more people after the pool. It was so, I didn't like it. Yeah, I you played there before play with LA Guns. I saw you, that's where I saw you. And you did the Purple Rain yeah. song and everything. It was really cool. Oh, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, that venue has had a weird, a really weird setup. I remember it just being like an uncomfortable setting. I don't know why they couldn't just put glass over the pool when they do a show. I don't know why that was so Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Like, even if you have to bolt it down for the night, if that's your fear, you know, like just, yeah. keep, just real thick one inch plexiglass right over the yeah. pool. You know, some caution tape for people not to, you know, uh, kill themselves on the edges and right. <laughs> or some yeah. cones or something like that. Yeah. You know, anything, dude. But it was a very, I just remember being like, this is weird, man. Because, like, <laughs> after three after three or four rows of people, you know, and they're probably fearing for their life if they get pushed from someone in front of them. That, right. That they're just going to dive into this pool. And not everybody wants to get wet. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that was a weird, but yeah, hopefully the new place would be cool if assuming it eventually opens. So, well, thanks so much for, yeah, we definitely had Phoenix on yeah. the, on the map. Well, definitely. Well, I'll, I hope that you can come at some point, whether it's next year or whenever, and, uh, I'll definitely come see you. I'll try to bring some people as well. And that should be fun. We would love to. We would love that, man. Thank you. Cool. Right look on. Look forward well, to meeting you in person, brother. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for uh, making such a great album. And uh, I look forward to the next one, too, even, because I'm really enjoying this one. So it's My pleasure, great. man. I'm really glad. I'm really glad you like the album, man. I and love it. For supporting I think it's brilliant. And, you know, I, so everything far, that you do. Yeah. So far, it's the best you do album to, of you know, the year. Support. Yeah. Thank you, man. That's yeah. saying a lot. Yeah. No, I think I so far. I mean, you know, there, and there's been a lot of music coming out, too. So. I'm loving it. Thank you, man. I'm 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 over the moon about it, bro. Thanks. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, I hope you. Uh, I hope to see you guys live soon, and um, otherwise, uh, stay in touch. Me too, brother. Well, take care and right. be safe. And uh, it was a pleasure doing this with you, bro. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye bye. Take care, man. So that's Michael Grant of Michael Grant and the Assassins. Uh, check out the new record, Always the Villain. Follow Michael on social media to keep up with what he's doing, and hopefully. We'll see some tour dates at some point. Uh, You can follow me on social media if you want to. And if you enjoyed this interview, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future interviews. And if you really want to be nice, you can write me a review and I'll give you a shout out on social media. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Have a great day or night. And remember to always go for what you want and shoot for the moon.